courtesy of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Receptionist, and yes, your host, your servant, the Jester. Oh, my Lord. We're wired that way. No point in fighting it. Hi, everybody. I'm Archie Bell with the Thrills of Houston, Texas. We don't only sing, but we dance. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Good evening, welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Middle school, fifth grade, like junior high. I don't know, mofo, if y'all peeps be pugging, giving props to my mother. I'm the other white man. Schlatter, flanner, hung like planet. Hung like planet, Pluto. Hey, good evening, welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Have become Welsh. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio this Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Hanging with the Lord of Sin behind the glass. And uh, a lot of shit happening in your sick fucking world, folks. I'm, uh, I don't know what to say. We're going to take a look at all that this evening. Plus, we're going to take a look at where it all began. And um, we're playing uh, artists' uh, origins. 
You'll 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 get what I'm saying when we start doing it. And to that end, we have some amazing uh, tunage this evening, featuring the Eagles and uh, Michael Jackson and Long John Baldry and Joe Walsh and Black Sabbath and Dion and the Yardbirds and Eric Clapton and Jackson Brown and John Lennon and and there's uh, other stuff too. Hanging with Sid the Neighbor in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by and say hi? Still uh, hawking the Jester Radio podcast this evening. We're so excited. We just got listed on iTunes this afternoon. So if you have iTunes, which of course you do, it's everybody has it. Then simply search for Jester or Jester Radio or Ravings or some something. And you can add us to your podcast subscription list and get a fresh uh, copy of Ravings of a Clown each and every day in your inbox, with which you could do anything you like. Listen to it at your PC or copy it over to your iPod or your MP3 player and take it with. So you can hear our ravings wherever which way you travel in the world. It's time to turn our attentions to the headlines. Sunnis and Shiites traded bombings and mortar fire against mainly religious targets in Baghdad. So much for Islam being a peaceful religion. Well into the night this evening, killing at least 68 people per day after authorities lifted a curfew that had briefly calmed a series of sectarian reprisal attacks. At least six of today's attacks hit clearly religious targets including with a car bombing after sundown at the Shiite Abdel Hadi Chalabi Mosque in the Hunia neighborhood that killed 23 and wounded 55. A separate suicide bombing killed 23 people in an East Baghdad gas station where people had lined up to buy kerosene. I love these guys. They're so fucking smart. They, they hate Americans, so what do they do? They kill fucking Iraqis. What makes more sense than that? These people got their fucking heads twisted around so far every which away from Sunday. They really don't even have the faintest fucking idea what they're doing, what they're protesting, who they hate, what to fucking blow up next. In addition to those known, you know how there are people who are just like angry all the time. They're always looking for a fight. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder. You get into a little fender bender with them. They come out and start acting like they're going to kick your ass. Because they're so fucking tough. You know, people, you think to yourself, man, dude, you know, like, you could, like, you should look into yoga or something, man. Something fucking wrong with you. You got, like, a sick kind of rage in your gizzard, man. It's not healthy. You know, you should think about, you know, chilling. You know how there are people like that? Well, imagine there was a country full of people like that. And they were sp- sp- split into two sides. Some, you know, you could call them the Sunnis and the Shiites, or you can call them the Hatfields and the McCoys. Whatever you want. But they're raised on this hate. They're fed this hate from the day that they're fucking born. You know, it's amazing that these <laughs> motherfuckers talk about the cartoons that were in the Danish magazine back in September. Because, and they say, what or how it ridicules Muhammad and, you know, it insults their religion. You should fucking see the kind of shit that they tell each other about each other. What the Sunnis say in their fucking households about the Shiites. 
and vice versa. And you should hear what they say about America and Israel and just about everybody else. You know how you ever see sometimes like there are protests in Manhattan outside like the French consulate, you know, and they're marching around. They go down with France, down with French policies. But when they protest in Baghdad, they carry around signs that say death to America. Every American baby should bleed to death. They're not just like against America. They want America destroyed and they want Israel destroyed. And now they just conveniently added Denmark to the list as if they have even the faintest idea where Denmark is. Whenever they go out in the streets to protest the Danish cartoons, they make sure to burn the American flag too. Because after all, aren't the Danish just fancy Americans? In addition to those uh, known to have been killed today, police found nine more bullet-riddled bodies, including a Sunni Muslim tribal sheikh. Off a road southeast of Baghdad, it was unclear when he, they died. They just fucking threw them in the street, you know. The surge of violence deepened the trauma of residents already shaken by fears that the country was teetering on the brink of sectarian civil war, threatened talks among Iraqi politicians struggling to form a government and raise questions about U.S. plans to begin drawing down troop strength this summer. You know, Bush advertised that, hey, we're going to march into Iraq. There are peaceful, loving people uh, that are ruled by a brutal dictator, and they'll be dancing and throwing candy in the streets and receive our troops. And then they went over there, and they found just the opposite. They were hated. And the reason that they had a bloodthirsty despot as their ruler is because that's what they fucking deserved. They were miserable, fucking hateful cocksuckers that have been going on with this tribal war for 5,000 years, and they've developed this convenient form of government to have the most brutal, the meanest, baddest motherfucker in charge of them all. That's the that's the uh, system they've come up with. So... You arrogant fucking Westerners assume, oh, we'll just throw us, whip a little democracy on them and they'll just soak it up because everybody loves that shit. No, not everybody loves that shit. Not when you were raised on this hate, this virulent bile that you live and breathe. Everything is a fucking jihad. You go into the fucking candy store and the guy gives you the wrong fucking change and it's a jihad on you, motherfucker. They don't know how to, like, dislike something. They don't know how to not prefer something. Whatever they are not into has to go, has to be brutally just beaten from the face of the earth. So if they don't like your music and they don't like your art, it's not that they don't want to listen to it. That's not enough. It must be destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. All people who don't believe in Muhammad must be destroyed. Just everybody, the, all women that don't go wear the fucking beekeeper outfits must be destroyed. So that's how they ended up with a brutal dictator, because they're a brutal people. Prosecutors presented documents today that they said show Saddam Hussein approved executions of more than 140 Shiites in the 1980s. The most direct evidence yet against the former Iraqi leader in his four-month trial. Among those sentenced to hang was an 11-year-old boy. Apparently, he had put together this intelligence that revealed that there were eight people that were involved in an assassination attempt against him back in the early 80s. 
And what he did was he had those eight people killed along with basically everybody those eight people knew. All their relatives, all their associates, all their co-workers. So for the eight people that plotted against him, he killed 140 people including an 11-year-old. The most significant document featured a signature said to be Sodom's on a court list of people to be executed, though it was not clear that he was aware of their ages. They may have neglected to tell him as if he gave a fuck. The list on the particular document only had names. About 50 of those sentenced died during interrogation before they can go to the gallows. They didn't even make it to get hanged. They died by torture. One man, his brother, and two sons were executed by mistake. And Sodom allegedly then suddenly ordered them to be declared martyrs to cover up the error. Oh, yeah, they're martyrs. And this is how they um, shove this fucking bile down these people's throats is they say everything is divine. Everything comes from God. Everything is religion. So anything to explain any sick fucking evil thing they do, they say Muhammad wants us to do it. And when people die, they say Muhammad wanted them to come home. When it was discovered that the 11, that they each get 21 raisins, I mean virgins. We still haven't figured out exactly what it says in the Quran, But martyrs get some good shit when they get over there. When it was discovered that the 11-year-old and nine other juveniles were not executed but were still in prison years later, they were ordered killed and their bodies buried in secret in uh, an order approved by uh, a signature the prosecution said was that of the intelligence agency at the time. Barzan Ibrahim, who's Sodom's half-brother. Sodom, by the way, throughout his regime, another one of his notable uh, statistics is that he's killed 56 of his own personal relatives. <laughs> one of them was his brother-in-law. His sister married this guy. This guy defected to the West and made a very big show of getting on with the American media and everything. And Sodom called him up in his hotel room and said, listen, bro, Let's straighten this out, you and me. Come on, this is crazy. You know, you know, we love you. We'll take good care of you. I promise. They, he convinced the guy, talked him into it. The guy got on a plane, went back to Iraq. He walked into Sodom's office and he blasted him away with a gun right in the chest. His own brother-in-law, the president of the country, did his own execution. He comes in. He, he says, "Sodom, what do you want?" He goes, "Do me a favor. Move over. Stand on the plastic." <laughs> And he just fucking blew him away in his office. His brother-in-law. The mafia aren't that cold. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Hanging with the Lord of Sin, hanging with Sid the Neighbor. Why not stop by all this evening? It's... um, where it all began. And um, we're featuring tunes that uh, are um, from bands. And then right after that tune, you hear another tune that is from the same guy that came from the band. Does that, you understand what I'm saying? Is this making any sense to you? So you get to hear the artist and you get to hear where it all began. You see what I'm saying? Oh, shut up already. We'll start you off with Credence. This will make you understand. Hey, you're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Chester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. 
I know it's true. I saw it on TV. John Fogarty on Jester Radio. Before that, you see, was the group he came from. That was Creedence Clearwater Revival. So that's how it goes, where it all started, because first we played the Creedence, you see, and then we played the, the Fogarty. You follow what I'm saying? So we'll be doing that all night long, if you could follow along with what we're doing there. Where it all got started. <laughs> It'll make more sense later. We'll have more examples of that. The Supreme Court dealt a setback today to abortion clinics in a two-decade-old legal fight over abortion protests, ruling that the uh, federal extortion and racketeering laws, laws cannot be used to ban demonstrations. Here's the deal. For years, you know, these fucking wacko anti-abortion freaks, they call themselves pro-life, but they're not really pro-life at all. They're, they're for the death penalty. <laughs> so it's not even an accurate description, but... These guys, what they do is they stalk the abortion clinics. They hang out outside, and then they, like, jump up at the, you know, women or the girls in some cases, you know, who go to have abortions. They're having mixed emotions, and, the, and, the, and their hormones are surging, and they're feeling, you know, sometimes very desperate. And they jump on, they pounce on them, and they say, you're killing a child, and, you're, and they show them a picture of a scrambled-up fetus, you know, which is really just like some fucking rotted hamburger meat, you know, one of them took a picture of or something. So what, what, what the, the uh, abortion clinics did to fight back is they tried to have them prosecuted under the extortion and racketeering laws to say that they're sort of an organized group that, you know, are causing malice against, you know, a particular um, company, in this case the abortion clinic, and they won't go away until you appease them, until you give them what they want, which is essentially to close down. The 8-0 decision ends a case that the 7th U.S. So the U.S. Supreme Court has come out and said, no, you can't prosecute them under those laws. The 8-0 decision ends a case that the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals had kept alive despite a 2003 ruling by the high court that lifted a nationwide injunction on anti-abortion groups led by Joseph Schindler and others. Anti-abortion groups brought the appeal after the appellate court sought to determine whether the injunction could be supported by charges that protesters had made threats of violence. In today's ruling, Justice, uh, Justice Stephen Breyer said Congress did not intend to create a freestanding physical violence offense in the federal extortion law known as the Hobbs Act. Instead, Breyer wrote, Congress chose to address violence outside abortion clinics in 1994 by passing the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which set parameters for such protests. Social activists and the AFL-CIO had sided with abortion demonstrators in arguing that lawsuits and injunctions based on the federal extortion law could be used to thwart their efforts to change public policy or agitate for better wages and working conditions. So the unions were scared that this might affect them because they use the same bully tactics that the uh, anti-abortion people do. It's all about the special interests. You know, there are these groups that are very active lobbyists, and they and they work the government. You know, your your government. Um, they keep them very very busy. You know, buying them lunch and telling them their point of view and what they want. 
and um, there's nobody out there, you know, fighting for your special interests. And of course, the 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 magic pill would be to just get rid of all special interests. You know, carve the government down so that it's not paying for public school and art buildings and garbage collection and Medicaid and Medicare and free fucking money for people that lose their job and free money for people that lose their houses in a hurricane and just get rid of all that shit. Just cut the government down to what it's supposed to be, which is, you know, basically a bunch of people that keep the water running and that protect the borders. You know, there's supposed to be a, you know, a corporation that runs the machinery of the country, not the, um, the, the moral head, not the mommy and daddy of the, of the civilization. They're just the government. So get rid of all that superfluous shit. Let people buy with all the extra tax money that they'll have. Let them buy their own fucking education. Let them buy their own houses and let them replace their own, uh, you know, uh, jobs. Or starve. It's not society's responsibility to take care of everybody. If you feel so inclined to give and be generous with those less fortunate than you, then by all means, be my guest. But it's not the function of the government to do that. That doesn't make sense. Because what if you don't agree with the charity that they're giving away to? What if it offends you? You can't, everybody's interests can't be served by that. But it's very easy if everybody took responsibility to make their own charitable donations. It's very easy for everybody to feel satisfied with what uh, their money goes to. You can't complain about your hard-earned tax dollars going to shit that you don't approve of because none of it would. Imagine such a world. Meanwhile, congressional Republicans and Democrats today te uh, tempered calls for an immediate vote to block a Dubai-based company's takeover of some U.S. port operations as President Bush prodded them to avoid a confrontation. Returning to the Capitol in force for the first time since news of DP World's takeover broke, lawmakers from both parties criticized the White House for failing to let them know the deal before it became public. Of course, we know the story broke a couple of days ago that um, a, a company in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, wants to buy six um, or take over control of six, uh, you know, very important uh, East Coast U.S. seaports. And somebody along the way raised the question, gee, is this appropriate, you know, um, what with the so-called war on terror to give um, people who live in the Middle East, you know, basically control over the entrance to our country. Hmm. I wonder if that might turn into, you know, a, 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 a sort of a hole in the system, a loophole in the system, where maybe some terrorists might sneak through with compassionate, um, you know, Arabs. I wonder if that's possible. Somebody brought up that question, and then it turned out that the White House had already investigated into in, it, it, it and gave them their approval. And then it later turned out that they had consulted the Coast Guard, of course, who is the the branch of the armed service that uh, has uh, you know the wa the waterways as their domain and they said no 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 bad idea don't do it and the white house just ignored them and then we found out that they kept all of this shit completely secret from the american people 
because they said, you know, let's not worry them. Returning to the Capitol in force, many also said steps taken over the weekend by the White House and the United Arab Emirates Company for a 45-day investigation of the transaction security issues reassured them and negated the need for legislation for now. We should allow that to proceed, said Senator Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, chairwoman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Over the weekend, Senator Majority Leader Bill Frist, the uh, Republican from Tennessee, brokered a deal between the company and the Bush administration to agree to a new investigation of security issues related to DP World's plan to assume significant operations of six U.S. ports. So now that the word is out and everybody knows about it, now they think it might be a good idea to do a real investigation. That other phony baloney one where they ignored the vice, advice of their own Coast Guard, they'll, we'll just sort of let that one slide. The crowds were small and the costumes wickedly satirical as Mardi Gras reached its boozy climax today in the hurricane-buckled city that could use a few laughs. The culmination of the eight-day pre-Lenten bash fell nearly six months to the day after the August 29th storm that smashed thousands of homes and killed more than 1,300 people, the vast majority of them in New Orleans. I lost everything, Andrew Hunter, 42, said as he sat on the steps of his ruined home on Jackson Avenue. What the heck? This helps us keep our spirits up, and we need all the help we can get with that. Even amid the typical debauchery, including early morning drinking, flashing of bare breasts, and skimpy costumes in the French Quarter, there was no escaping reminders of the storm. Zulu, the 97-year-old Mardi Gras club, or crew that lost 10 members to Katrina, paraded amid homes that still bear dirty brown watermarks from the floodwaters that covered 80% of the city. Another crew, Rex, king of Carnival, paraded past a boarded-up store bearing a spray-painted warning that looters would be shot. Kevin and Marie Barr, a husband and wife from New Orleans, wore white plastic coveralls bearing the all-too-familiar spray-painted X that denotes a home that's been checked for bodies. It's a reminder. A lot of people who are coming down here don't understand what we've been through, Kevin Barr said. Members of another club called the Crew of MRE covered themselves with brown labels from the meals ready to eat that were served to thousands who huddled in the Superdome after the storm. Others dressed as giant maggots, recalling the days when city streets were lined with abandoned refrigerators full of rotting food. Mayor Ray Nagin, wearing a black beret and camouflage uniform, portrayed cigar-chomping General Russell Anor, the military man who led the first big relief convoy into the city. It's been absolutely, I don't know how to describe it, great, Nagin said of the party. Katrina did a lot of bad things, but it's done something to give New Orleanians a fresh love for their city. So there you go, the eternal optimism of human nature, even after... September 11th, the New Yorkers rallied together and there was a sort of a spirit that they felt closer. That fuck those sons of bitches. We're not going to let them spoil our party. And, uh, of course, uh, any community feels that way. And that's the way they're taking it down in New Orleans. And I'll tell you something else about Mardi Gras. If you have a holiday where you get to see thousands of naked breasts for free... 
you're going to get it going right back on track as soon as humanly possible. I don't care what kind of storm you got or hurricane or flash flood. I don't care if the whole city was burned to the ground. They're going to get those breasts back on the street, and rightly so. I truly believe that the, that man is has a, a, a requirement, a quota of number of naked breasts that he has to see every day. You know, you look at all the other animals. They're all looking at each other naked. They're perfectly normal. Look at us. We're as crazy as could fucking be. We're a fucking virus with shoes. The way we treat this fucking world and the way we treat each other. We're going to outlive our usefulness uh, on planet Earth because we're creating more bad than good. And species that do that eventually evolve out. And, you know, you, you think of, you know, humans being so important in the perspective of the history of the world. But think of it this way. If the world was one day old, if you put it in a scale and you think of the world, the history of planet Earth being one day old, then the length that the humans have been on Earth has been less than a second. You people just got here and Earth will shrug you off like another fucking bad idea, like the dinosaurs and anything else that didn't uh, work out. Don't mean shit. This is where it all began for uh, Joe Walsh. The Eagles, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, where it all began night this Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006, hanging with the Lord of Sin, Sid the Neighbor, Stop by the Jester Radio chat room, throw your two shekels into the thick of the fray. And don't fuck with that doll. What you're looking for on Jester Radio starts right now.
said, We are all just prisoners here of our own device. And in the master's chambers, they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their stealing eyes, but they just can't.
Rocky Mountain Way on Jazz Radio, Joe Walsh. And where he started out, of course, was from the Eagles. So we uh, had an uh, Eagles tune before that. Hotel California, you tune into the ravings of a clown where it all began. Hanging with Schmar and Sid the Neighbor, the world-famous Sid the Neighbor, whose name is spoken in over 130 countries each and every evening. Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you that if you're tuning in this evening through Live 365, don't do it, man. Whatever you do, head over to JesterRadio.com, click on where it says uh, tune in, you know, that little radio icon on the left, and link in directly through via streaming.net, and you get a much better uh, signal, and you'll be much more happier and well-rounded individual. And speaking of which, I had an interesting experience this evening. I was speaking with one of your... Um, one of the great, most noble uh, professions uh, on the planet, a teacher, um, a, a remarkable woman, very intelligent and sweet, gentle woman who was a teacher. She taught small children, like I think first or second graders, something like that, second graders. Um, and, um, and, you know, it was an amazing conversation because... She was just so fucking bitter, man. She was as bitter as a pill. And it makes me sick to my stomach because if you're a teacher, if you're doing one of the most incredible fucking things that you can do, help young forming minds understand the world that they live in and and uh, how to apply it and try to instill in them some kind of moral or ethical code so that they can, you know, have a guide to life, you know, without scaring the baby Jesus out of them with all kinds of wacky stories about Satan and hell and monsters in the sky. It's a, it's a tough and really crucial job. And, um, you know, I told her that I thought maybe we should consider just getting rid of the schools, the public schools, and getting rid of all those tax dollars that are wasted on it. And let's just let people who want to educate their children send their children to school. And um, and she said right away, of course, what about the children that can't afford school? You know, I mean, this is the way people think in this culture because there's this expectation that everybody gets taken care of. But let me ask you something. Why does everybody get taken care of? Where did that rule come from that everybody's responsible for their neighbor? Everybody's their neighbor's mother. Why don't we all just make a deal that we'll each take care of ourselves? And that way we'll get rid of a lot of complications. You don't have to rely on other people to provide you with education and medical care and spiritual care. You just do it your fucking self. Be responsible for yourself. Once you're an adult, of course, and if you're not a child, then your parents are responsible. So let's imagine in this imaginary future world where there were no required schools, there was no required education, there was no government-run schools, and all those tax dollars that are wasted on that, and the only people that went to school are the people that can afford it because it's important enough for them to make enough money to send their children to school. And, of course, since they have all the extra money from not paying all those tax dollars to the schools and all the other useless crap, 
And w- imagine what the education system would be like then. There would be competing uh, school uh, types, and they would uh, uh, be competing not only financially for the best price, but for the best quality education. Imagine if you're a teacher like the remarkable woman that I was speaking with today. Imagine if you're a teacher what it must be like to work in an environment where you don't have to worry about taking care of everybody in the fucking country. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just taking care of the people that hire you to do a good job and take care of their children and how fulfilling that would be and how uh, so much better education would be. Public schools are like jails. I know that may not be like the way it is for the young lady that I was speaking with today because she teaches second graders, but, but you and I both know that if you live in a Western country, by the time you're 12, 13, 14 years old, schools are like prison in so many different ways, figuratively and literally. And of course, if you grew up or if you, you know, lived in um, any metropolitan city, you know that schools are virtually prisons. They lock the doors. There's all kinds of security. And it's a terrible fucking place for children to live. And we just send the children to these places and we say, well, it's a necessary evil. You know, we got to, you know. Educate everybody, but you don't. You can't be responsible for everybody. That's not right. Who the fuck gave you that job? Nobody can be responsible for everybody else. doesn't even make sense. Got to get that whole thing out of our vocabulary. It's nice to care about other people, but to build that into your government where everybody gets taken care of, everybody gets free education, and everybody... Isn't that stupid? Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Hanging with Schmar and Sid the Neighbor and Lord of Sin behind the glass. President Bush praised Iraqis' defiance of the terrorists and the killers before embarking today on a uh, tie-strengthening visit to South Asia, the presumed hiding place of Osama bin Laden and a part of the world where the war on terror is often close at hand. With a wave but no words, Bush left for India, Pakistan, and possibly Afghanistan. I was just talking to a guy from India the other day, and he was so proud, bragging to me how the president was coming to India, president of the United States. I can go to Pakistan as a friend of India's and be able to have a good dialogue and go to India as a friend of Pakistan's and be able to have a good dialogue, Bush told ABC News today. The good news is that it's less delicate than ever before. Hmm. Well, those were two very complicated sentences, but one of them was actually just repeating the first part over again in the second part. And um, I'm not sure he fully understands the true nature of the relationship between India and Pakistan. Bush exited Washington for five days at a time of, for, of turmoil for his presidency. A new CBS poll shows his approval rating dropped to 34%. It was back, it was back in January, it was 42%. Bush has been confronted with a surge in violence in Iraq. 
that could derail U.S. hopes of significant troop withdrawals this year. And with a bipartisan rebellion in Congress over his administration's approval of a Dubai-owned company to manage six major U.S. ports, that's just, you know, half the shit that's going on. He's also got this vice president who's apparently out shooting people in the streets. So my advice to you is if you live or work anywhere near or around the Washington, D.C. area, just wear orange all the time. You're listening to The Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. This is where it all began for Reginald White. You're listening to The Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Don't fuck with that dial. It gets good right now. It's a cloak you wear A deep shade of blue Is always there The sun ain't gonna shine anymore The moon ain't gonna rise in the sky The tears are always clouding your eyes When you're with us
saw your hands trembling and your eyes open in surprise. It's 90 in the shade, babe, and there ain't a cloud in the sky. I called you my child and said, honey, now this is our game. There's two of us to play it, and I'm happy to be home again. And there's a greyhound outside in the rain. It's waiting for us, so tell him goodbye. We're going to go west on that bus, and it's all over now. Don't you worry. No more. going to go west to the sea. And the greyhound is swaying, and the radio's playing some blues baby and me and the highway looks like it never did lord it looks so sweet and so free and i can't forget that trip to the west singing blues for baby and me elton john on jest radio wrote that about his leaving the uh, long john baldry band um where he had cut his teeth and become a great keyboard player to the master. Of course, back then he was only Reginald Dwight and did what a lot of blues men did. He took his name from his idols. And in, the, in, the, in his case, they were the two, two uh, co-band members, Long John Baldry and Elton Dean, the drummer, and t- made himself Elton John. Because he figured being homo, it was bad enough, but being homo with the name Reginald Dwight would just fucking kill him. Blues for Baby and Me on Jester Radio from Elton John. Long John Baldry, the master himself, the sun ain't going to shine anymore, started that set on Jester Radio this Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Shout out goes out to Schmar and uh, all those listening in uh, your living rooms and iPods all across the land. Bob, the engineer, has asked me to remind you that uh, we uh, the request lines are open now at www.jesterradio.com. Stop by, tell us what you want to hear. We'll get it on the air within 15 minutes. That's our guarantee, or I have my left testicle surgically removed without the benefit of anesthesia. Live, on air, in a specially promoted pay-per-view event. The Supreme Court appeared ready today to bless Playboy Playmate Anna Nicole Smith's pursuit of a piece of her late husband's oil fortune. The court waded into an 11-year-old family feud over the estate of J. Howard Marshall II, who died at age 90 after a brief marriage to Smith. The case is dominated by themes of sex, greed, and deception. Quite a story, Justice Stephen Breyer marveled. Marshall's youngest son, E. Pierce Marshall, claims that he is the sole heir, and that Smith's legal fight is dead because she lost in a Texas probate court. Justices appeared unwilling to buy that. Smith, a former stripper known for her flashy cleavage-revealing outfits, watched uh, from near the back of the court dressed in black. Her lawyer said she was in tears during part of the argument when justices discussed her late husband. But it was mostly the drugs, the mix, you know, she takes so many things, and a lot of times she takes one extra red and not enough of the blues. And it gets her fucked up. Justices tread delicately on the subject matter. Chief Justice John Roberts said the case involved a substantial amount of assets, referring to the fortune of Smith's husband of 14 months. The estate was estimated as much as 
billion dollars. That's with a B. CBS Radio Division sued Howard Stern today, claiming its former star shock jock breached its contract with them when he moved over to Sirius Satellite Radio. The lawsuit, which also named Sirius and Stern's agent as defendants, claimed Stern improperly used CBS Radio's airtime to promote his new show, with Sirius, which began last month, CBS also claims Stern discussed his plans with Sirius without disclosing them to CBS as required under his contract. Even before the lawsuit was filed in New York State Supreme Court, Stern tried to upstage the action with a hastily arranged news conference in Manhattan today to strike first at his former employer, Stern said the lawsuits were meritless and that CBS was trying to bully him. He called the lawsuit a personal vendetta against him by CBS Chief Executive Officer Leslie Moonves, whom Stern has held a grudge, uh, says that's uh, held a grudge against him. Stern said CBS officials knew of his plans to leave for Sirius and also condoned his references to satellite radio on the air and did nothing to stop him. When he spoke about it on the show, they were happy to have him talk about it because it drew in listeners. It raised his ratings. Everybody wanted to tune in and hear what he was going to say about how much it sucked to be on public airwaves. This whole thing you have with the public airwaves, it's such a stupid, sick fucking joke. Again, another small, tiny minority special interest of people who can't hear curse words and can't hear descriptions of foul things. And so they don't want anybody to hear it. If they, if they don't want to hear it, they're not fucking happy if nobody hears it. What if they're children? It's always the children. What if they accidentally stumble into the room and hear a broadcast? Well, you know what? A, you're in charge of the children. So make it your responsibility to keep your children away from foul language shows and shows you don't approve of. Don't make it my responsibility. Don't make it my government's responsibility. If you don't want your children to listen to something, then don't let them. Do whatever it takes. Do your fucking job as a parent. Turn it off when they come in the fucking room. Tell them which channels they're not allowed to listen to and supervise them if that's what you want. But don't make it so that nobody in the fucking world can hear something because you don't like it. Who the fuck are you? You're not the boss of me. And that's the way Howard Stern felt, and he spoke about that f quite often. It's not only that they would cut him off if he used curse words, but they would cut him off if he made vague references to sexual things, which, let's face it, that's why you listen to Howard Stern. He was funny as shit. And that's why they got the ratings, so they're fucking hypocrites. They criticized him for it, and now they're suing him. Because he jumped ship and they realized, you know, a month after he was gone that the fucking ratings plummeted and they can't stay in business without him. That he was their fucking lifeblood. And they were stupid to let him go. About 5,000 children chanting, hang those who insulted the prophet, rallied in Pakistan's largest city today in the latest protest in the Islamic nation against the publication of cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, you may recall back in September, a Danish magazine published several cartoons that Muslims over the succeeding months have come to feel are insulting them and their sacred prophet. 
and as such they have become very violent and rallied around in the streets. Now we hear about Karachi, Pakistan, where 5,000 children, these were kids aged 8 to 12, and they carried a sign saying, hang those who insult the prophet, not down with those, or those people who uh, insult the prophet are bad, but hang them. This is what eight-year-old children are writing on their banners now. Obviously, they're not writing it. They're the grown-ups are telling them what to write. Obviously, the government and the grown-ups are telling them what to write and what to do because it's Pakistan, <laughs> so they don't have freedom of speech. So any rally in the street is just some phony baloney thing that the government you know, sets up for the rest of the world to see. All the signs are written in English for the cameras. The children ages, and this is how they teach their children. They say to themselves, what's a good way to instill the hate that we have into our children? Let's get them to go on this mock uh, protest thing where they'll dance in the street and burn flags and say that the people who disagree with us, they should die by hanging. The children ages 8 to 12 burned a coffin draped in U.S., Israeli, and Danish flags. By the way... It's not the Danish government that printed these cartoons. It's a magazine in Denmark. So, but they insist on a, on a uh, apology from the Danish government because they don't understand the concept of freedom of the press. So they think that if it was published in a Danish magazine, then it must be the Danish government that's behind it. And everybody knows the Danish government, like every government in the world, are just puppets to Israel and the United States. So while we're at it, let's toss in one of those flags, too, of the Americans and the, and the Israelis. They didn't publish any cartoons, but we hate them, too. They burned a coffin draped in U.S., Israeli, and Danish flags at a traffic intersection in the port city of Karachi as police in riot gear looked on, picking their noses. The rally was organized by Jamaat-e-Islami, Pakistan's largest Islamic group. The children, some wearing school uniforms and headbands emblazed with God is great, were released from school to take part. There was special day-off day to be in the rally. Jamaat-e-Islami is part of a radical coalition of six Islamic parties that's rallied Muslims throughout Pakistan in recent weeks against the cartoons Despite bans on protests in some cities, opposition lawmaker Likwat Baluch, Deputy Secretary General of the Coalition today, welcomed the European Union's first statement on the controversy. EU foreign ministers said yesterday they regret the cartoons were considered offensive by Muslims around the world after first appearing in a Danish newspaper in September. But Baluch demanded an apology from Denmark, saying it has not so far acknowledged its mistake. These people actually believe that the country of Denmark owes them an apology because a magazine that originated from within that country had a cartoon that they found offensive. Are you following me? Is it just me? Baluch said that a line should be drawn between freedom of expression, the justification newspapers give for reproducing the drawings, which Muslims consider blasphemous, and actions that offend cultural sensitivities. A line must be drawn. Now, if this is not the most adversarial 
and warlike way of looking at the world. We have a disagreement. Therefore, my first offer of solution, let's draw a line so that we're perfectly crystal clear between freedom of expression and acts that offend me. Freedom of expression that destroys world peace is against basic human rights, he says. So they blame the cartoon for inciting all of this violence because this is another Islam, Muslim, Arab cultural moray is that they deflect all the blame. So everything they do, the classic thing you see is where the terrorist takes a hostage. He goes and kidnaps somebody and takes a hostage holds him by the, with a knife to his throat, and he says, if you don't release these prisoners, then I will kill this guy, and the blood will be on your hands. He's already wiped his hands and feet of any responsibility just by imagining that really it's the other guy that's making him do it. The religious coalition has been leading protests against the cartoons drawing Thousands of people to the streets of the conservative Islamic nation. At least five people died in two Pakistani cities when recent protests turned violent. So they're out there on the street protesting. They're not protesting to their own government because they're just scared shitless of their own government. This is not a democracy. Let's not forget. So they're out there protesting in a big show of how they're offended, and they kill each other. They're burning, <clears throat> excuse me, Israeli flags, and they're killing each other. That's smart. The religious coalition, uh, Baluch said, the uh, EU, the European Union, must take steps to ensure that another controversy, such as the cartoon dispute, doesn't occur in the future. This is a good step forward, but it's incomplete, he said of the EU statement. Islamic tradition... Uh, as you know, bans represent uh, any representations of uh, Muhammad. Any picture of Muhammad is against their religion. So if anybody else wants to look at a picture of him, then they should be hanged, according to the little children, the cute little children. Let us hang the people that disagree with us. They carried a lovely sign. What a lovely way to raise your children. The European Union must take steps to ensure that such a thing as the cartoon dispute doesn't occur in the future. The whole European Union, all the countries, England and France and Germany and Denmark and Sweden, all get together and say, let's not insult the Muslims. <laughs> yeah, they see, you know, and I guess this is why that really the only real practical solution to dealing with these lunatics is to just drop a big bomb on them and kill them all. Kill them by the, not the thousands or the hundreds of thousands, but kill them by the millions until there's really only like 10 or 12 of them left. And then really, let's face it, that's the only way we're going to be living in a safe world. Because these motherfuckers, they, they come into this world with a chip on their shoulders and their parents feed them such fucking bile and hatred. There are cartoons published in a newspaper in Denmark and the children are out burning coffins and flags of American Israel and Denmark.
holy shit. These people are really fucking dangerous. These people are really scary. They're really filled with a sick kind of rage. You don't know. You think about like the shit that really makes you pissed off, the things that annoy you. You haven't the faintest idea what it's like to feel the kind of rage these people live with. And of course, you know why. is because they're raised on, uh, by the imams who fucked them up the ass at night, every night when they go to bed in their fucking, uh, you know, dormitories. And that, believe me, that has a way of uh, turning you into a fucking sick, sad, angry motherfucker who's looking for uh, an excuse to start some shit with somebody. This is where it all got started for uh, the Oz. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Don't fuck with that dial. It's more of what you listen to Jester Radio for.
the times are strange Here I come but I ain't the same Time gone by seems to be You could have been a better friend to me Come on! You took me in and you drove me out Yeah, you had me hypnotized Lost and found it Turned around by the fire in your eyes Show me life, but I can't stand to say goodbye. Everybody! I could be right, I could be wrong. It hurts so bad, it feels so long. Mama, I'm coming home. No love, yeah, we're both alone The right before the fall, yeah But I'm gonna take in cornerstone I just got to hear it all I've seen your face a hundred times Every day we've been apart I don't
The Osman on Jester Radio. Mama, I'm coming home live. Black Sabbath, before that, where it all began for Ozzy. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you that if you've missed any portion of this evening's broadcast, it will be recast again at 2 a.m. and then 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can simply get the podcast and search for it on iTunes. The Rolling Stone will likely follow the beat of China's censors when they offer mainland fans some long-awaited satisfaction with an April concert, according to promoters. Today, the veteran British group who had two shows in China canceled in the spring of 2003 because of the SARS epidemic would make its mainland debut in Shanghai on April 8th as part of a Bigger Bang tour. According to uh, Emma Entertainment, you could check it out at www.emma.cn, Chinese website. Even before the uh, April 2003 concerts were scuttled, the Stones had run afoul of China's culture commissars. This time around, the band was ready to steer clear of trouble, a company employee told Jester Radio today. The Chinese Ministry of Culture told the band in 2003 it could not perform four specific songs. Let's spend the night together, of course. Brown Sugar, because it's about eating chicks out. Honky Tonk Women, because it's about whores. And Beast of Burden, which I don't know why. What's wrong with that one? Maybe it's because it's something about, I don't know. Uh, No reasons were given, but the songs were uh, mostly the sexually explicit ones. This time, they probably will not play these songs. Company employee, surnamed Goo, told Jester Radio today. They know these are the, the, there are differences between Chinese and Western cultures. For example, in China, if you speak your mind, you die. And that's not that common in the West. They don't want to do anything against the Chinese government, she said. So singing Let's Spend the Night Together would be going against the Chinese government. What a fucking world you people live in. The winner for Hollywood's Word of the Year broke back. Thanks to all the talk around the water cooler and the internet jokes that have turned a film about two gay cowboys into a cultural phenomenon. I don't even, I've never seen the movie, but I love all the jokes. The nonprofit group Global Language Monitor placed Brokeback, as in the film title Brokeback Mountain, at the top of its list of Hollywood words and phrases that captured attention this year. Paul J.J. Payak, the head of Global Language Monitor, said the movie became a cultural phenomenon that generated a million jokes, according to Google. Overall, Google search shows more than 38 million references to the film, although only about 10 million people saw the actual movie. In second place was Brangelina, the hybrid, the hybrid name given to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie as Hollywood's hottest new couple, which beat out Tom Cad, of course, bestowed on Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes, and Vinciver, a little-used term referring to Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. Placing third on the list was Petronia, a phrase inspired by the film Syriana, and meaning an irrational fear of the collapse of the oil industry, followed by global economic crisis. In fourth place was Tuxedo, reference to the nature film March of the Penguins. Payak said that while the dialogue, not to mention the stars, were, were a bit stiff, the chronicle about Emperor, Emperor Penguins in their breeding trek across Antarctica flew to remarkable heights. Payak said the word pimping was fifth on the list, thanks to the film Hustle and Flow. 
which is about a pimp's dream of becoming a rap star. Isn't that sweet? Every little innocent pimp who peddles human flesh for a living just dreams about becoming a rock and roll star, all-American hero. State lawmaker wants to peel Idaho's standard license plate of the legend Famous Potatoes in a battle over whether the lowly spud should symbolize a state whose major export is high-tech. Republican Senator Hal Bunderson said the slogan no longer has resonance for a state whose population and commerce have undergone a seismic shift in the 46 years since the motto was first stamped on Idaho's license plates. Other than as a consumer, the majority of people in Idaho have no connection to potatoes, said Bunderson, other than, of course, eating them all the time, whose potato proposal will be heard by a state uh, transportation panel on Thursday. People got nothing better to do than spend their time. This guy got in his head, you know, we should change the name on the license plate, and that's what this guy does every day. He's chasing this fucking thing around. Besides, he says, the potato has fallen from agricultural grace, dropping from the state's top-earning agricultural commodity to number three behind milk and livestock. Frank Muir, president of the Idaho Potato Commission, is irked over the proposal, which he says undercuts the Spud's considerable contributions to the state. After beating back the onslaught of low-carb diets in recent years, the last thing, the Idaho potato industry expected was to be mashed at home, he said. We don't have to be embarrassed by our agricultural roots. Why not be proud of your potato, he said. <laughs> kind of gets you right there. Twelve-year-old visitor to the Detroit Institute of Arts stuck a wad of gum to a $1.5 million painting, leaving a stain the size of a quarter. Boy was part of a school group from uh, Holly, that visited the museum on Friday, officials said they said he took a piece of Wrigley's extra polar ice gum out of his mouth and stuck it on Helen Frankenthaler's The Bay, an abstract painting from 1963. The museum acquired the work in 65, says it's worth about one and a half million smackers. The gum stuck to the painting's lower left corner and did not adhere to the fiber of the canvas, officials told Jester Radio, but it left a chemical residue about the size of a quarter, according to Becky Hart assistant curator of contemporary art. The museum's conservation department is researching the chemicals in the gum to decide which solvent to use to clean it. The museum hopes to make the repair in two weeks and will keep the bay on display in the meantime, just with the gum stain and all. Our expectation is that the painting is going to be fine, she said. Holly Academic Director Julie Kildee said the boy had been suspended from the charter school and says that his parents have disciplined him. You Can you imagine the whooping that his parents gave him for ruining a $1.5 million painting? I dropped an ashtray, but my mother's looking back now. I realize it must have cost her like a buck sixty, And she fucking beat the living baby Jesus out of my hide. Even though we gave very strict guidelines on proper behavior, we hold students to high standards. He's only 12 I don't think he understood the ramifications of what he did before it happened, but he certainly understands the severity of it now. He's going to be forever known <laughs> in Detroit as the kid who stuck the gum on the painting. How do you outlive something like that? Come on. This is where it all began for little Mikey. You and I should make a pact. Let's, let's do that right away. The Jackson 5 on JR. You and I must make- 
Michael Jackson and uh, where it all began before that, the Jackson 5, back when he was still fairly a normal human being and had the promise of going on to becoming, you know, an ordinary person before he turned into a freak of science. Poor kid. He's like got the brain of a fucking five-year-old, that guy. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's where it all began night this Tuesday, February the 28th. The year of our Lord, 2006, hanging with S. Poe and Sid the Neighbor. Extra special thanks to Schwami or Schwani, Schwani, Schmar, for stopping by. Lord of Sin, hanging with the jester behind the glass. You're uh, listening to the ravings of a cloon as uh, our uh, Celtic uh, f- uh, friends say. Uh, no trivia this evening, but it'll come back tomorrow night. Don't forget to tune in. And get yourself a dose of uh, Jester trivia. Also, uh, Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you to leave Jester Radio on 24 hours a day. It's good for you, and it's good for us. An Australian grandmother who saved a friend from the jaws of a crocodile by jumping on the giant reptile's back has been awarded Australia's highest civilian bravery award. Alicia Sorahan was awarded the Star of Courage after risking her life to save a friend who was dragged from his tent by the crocodile during a camping trip in the remote far north of tropical Queensland state in October back in 2004. Then 60, Sorahan jumped on the 14-foot crocodile's back as it dragged him from a tent while the man's uh, horrified wife tried to pull him free and protect their baby. The crocodile... Then turned on Sorahan, almost tore off her arm before her son shot it and killed it. The first thing you think of was jump on it, try and pull it off, Sorahan, told Australian Broadcasting Corp. Radio after the awards last uh, were announced uh, to, uh, yesterday. My son came around, and he saw me actually jump on the crocodile, and he shot it, but it hung on to my arm, she said. I just couldn't get away, and you think, oh, there, my time's up. She said, from Queensland capital, Brisbane. Sorahan said she finds crocs fascinating and has since returned to her favorite camping spot, which she calls paradise. Crocodiles, which the crocodiles also apparently think of as well. Crocodiles numbered in the tens of thousands across northern Australia and have killed about a dozen people over the past 20 years. Not a bad, pretty safe record when you think about it, how many Australians there are and how many crocodiles there are. Hey, you're listening to uh, The Ravings of a Clown this um, Tuesday, the something of the something. And if you check the Jester Radio playlist, which is conveniently 
uh, located at uh, www.jestradio.com. You'll find that all our selections this evening feature artists and where it all began. For example, we paid Joe Walsh, but just before that we played where it all began with the Eagles. And, for example, Elton John and Long John Baldry, Ozzy and Black Sabbath. There in that last set, we played Michael Jackson. And before that, we played the Jackson Five, that group that uh, he was in where his father just tortured him into becoming uh, some kind of freak of science. Have you seen him without his actual nose? Remember several years back, he was in court wearing, you know, like a fucking ski mask or something, and, and the judge said, you got to take that stupid thing off. And he took it off, and he had some kind of prosthetic nose on underneath it. And the judge says, no, that's got to go, too. And he had to take off his nose and put like, <laughs> And people all over the world just, like, gasped. Holy shit, this is what this fucking poor kid looks like underneath the phony nose. A massive middle school food fight left several students suspended and the eighth grade class footing the cleaning bill that included the cost of scraping mashed potatoes off the ceiling. Last week's fight at uh, Chesterson Middle School left ceiling tiles damaged and could cost the students as much as $1,000 to pay for overtime maintenance and repairs. According to Doonland School Corporation Superintendent Dirk Bear. In Indiana, it wasn't just one or two kids throwing grapes, Bear said. There were mashed potatoes sticking to the ceiling. <laughs> Security cameras captured the fracas that brought out, broke out about halfway through the 25-minute lunch period uh, last Wednesday at the school in a town 15 miles east of Gary, Indiana. The school suspended between 6 and 10 students. Apparently, they don't really know themselves for two or three days for launching the day's menu of chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, and milk into the air. As many as 50 students may have been involved. Principal Jim Tan recommended one student be expelled. Cleaning costs will be taken. He apparently, <laughs> I can't imagine what he did. He started jamming jello down the chick's pants. Cleaning costs will be taken from the 8th grade extracurricular activity fund. Extracurricular activity slash food fight fund. Bear said the whole class was punished because many of the grades 500 students knew about plans for the food fight but failed to alert administrators. Apparently, this was a premeditated food fight. It was planned and it was widely known that it would happen, but nobody said anything. Bear said everybody takes responsibility. It's like Nazi Germany. There were like thousands of fucking conspirators, man. They all kept quiet. A woman pleaded guilty yesterday to attempted murder charges for trying to hire a hitman to rob and kill four men for what she thought was cocaine but turned out to be cheese. Jesse Sandy Booth, 18, hatched the plot after she visited the home of the men and mistook the Queso Fresco, which is a white crumbly cheese in common in Mexican cuisine, but the hitman she hired turned out to be Undercover cops. Anyway, they asked her numerous times, do you really want to go through with this? According to prosecutor Paul Hagerman, they gave her numerous chances to back out, but she said she was totally serious. She said she needed the money for modeling school. Booth pleaded guilty to yesterday to four counts of attempted first-degree murder and was sentenced. Do you imagine some kind of ruthless fucking cunt who thinks it's okay to kill people so she can get pay to, to go to a modeling school? What kind of hardened fucking bitter f chick is this? 
18 years old. You know what? I need to pay my way through modeling school. Those people over there, they're just going to have to die because they have cheese. I mean, cocaine in a jar I saw in the kitchen. And if I could just grab that jar, I'll be okay. I'll sell all the cocaine to all my friends. I'll snort it up. And can you imagine if she actually found somebody to do this job for her? She started snorting the cheese. <laughs> she pled guilty. Booth planned to take part in the murders and went with a police officer to buy a handgun. She told investigators that she planned to make sure all possible witnesses were killed. Then they would have been murdered, too, Booth said, about children or other bystanders in her statement to investigators. If there would have been babies... They would not have been able to talk, and then they would not have been murdered, she said. So, in other words, the plan was kill everybody, kill all the grown-ups, kill all the children who could speak, but spare the babies. Instead, leave them alone in a, with, a, with a heap of bloody bodies stacked on top of each other. A woman didn't have to look too far to figure out who likely broke into her home and took a camera from her purse. Police said the burglar left behind his probation and parole cards. Very considerate of him. The woman was going through her purse after the burglary earlier this month to make sure nothing other than the camera was taken. She said she found the man's probation and parole card, which had a date and time stamp on it for his next appointment. He must have had the card in his hand when he went into her purse, thinking to himself, I, I'm going to go to jail if I get caught. He doesn't even know how to get there. The man who had not been charged on Saturday... The, the police plan to request burglary charges in the next week for at least eight incidents over the past three years. Because he's the guy who goes into Chick's apartments. Now they got him pe pegged and steals the, the digital cameras. Finally this evening, far from Poopin Road, the only road to Constipation Ridge, lost out to Divorce Court and Psychopath, which placed number one in an online poll of the nation's wildest, weirdest, and wackiest street names, Mitsubishi Motors sponsored the poll on the website. More than 2,500 voters cast their ballots during a week of voting that ended this month. We winners were announced uh, on Friday at thecarconnection.com. Our readers really stepped up with some insane street names, said website publisher Paul Eisenstein. Our panel had a difficult time narrowing several hundred down to the ten that our readers voted on, but we learned a lot about the byways of our country, not to mention the collective sense of humor of city planners everywhere. In first place was Psychopath in Traverse City, Michigan, followed by Heather Highlands, PA's divorce court in second, and Tennessee Far From Poopin' Road in third. Eisenstein said all the roads were verified, although some are private and hard to find. The complete top ten list included Tater Peeler Road in Lebanon, Tennessee, the intersection of Count and Basie in Richmond, Virginia, Shades of Death Road in Warren County, New Jersey, Unexpected Road in Buena, New Jersey, Bucket of Blood Street in Halbrook, Arizona, the intersection of Clinton and Fidelity in Houston. That's the only two times those things come together. The intersection of Lonesome and Hardup. In Albany, Georgia, far from Poopin Road in Tennessee, the only road that leads up to Constipation Ridge, and Divorce Court in Heather Highlands, Pennsylvania, Psychopath was the number one in Traverse City, Michigan. So, where do you live? Psychopath. Okay, never mind. 
Hey, you've been listening to Where It All Began this evening on Jester Radio. We got one more set for you. Don't touch that dial. This is Where It All Began for four brilliant musicians. Leave it right where it is.
imagine no possessions, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. John Lennon on Jester Radio. And where it all began, of course, for him with the Beatles. You're listening to Where It All Began night this evening on the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Thanks so very, very much for stopping by. Extra special thanks for Schwarmy. Schmarmy? Schmar. And Sid the Neighbor and S. Poe and Michael for uh, stopping by Jess Radio chat room. An extra, extra special thanks for my bud behind the glass, the Lord of Sin. You've been listening to the ravings of a clown on Jess Radio coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. If you've missed any portion of this evening's webcast, then uh, you can catch it again when it's recast at 2 a.m. and then again at uh, 2 a.m. and then, yes, 2 a.m. and then 2 p.m following all times eastern or check your local listings oh yeah that's the thank you lord there's um the you can also get us by way of podcast so open up your itunes and do a search for jester and you could uh, have a fresh minty fresh uh, episode of the ravings of a clown waiting for you on your uh, desktop computer every morning for you to uh, listen to right there at your desktop or take with you on your iPod or MP3 player. Isn't that convenient? And that way you could share the uh, jester's ravings with uh, your fe- fe- uh, co-workers and uh, loved ones. Thanks again so very much for stopping by. You know I love you, which is why I miss you already. And I beg, I plead, I impel you to be impeccable with your word. Please don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always, always do your best. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That's my solemn promise to you. Until that time, Hustis, be good to each other. Good night. See you tomorrow. Oh
You come. 